Well, good morning. It's so good to see you, whether you're joining us in person this morning or whether you're watching online. We're so excited to have you this morning. I have to tell you, I have been waiting, itching to be back together with you, my wife and my family. We were on vacation for the last couple weeks. But before I go any further, would you please give it up for Pastor Dana and Pastor Sam, two amazing words. We were watching on the road, and I'm so, so grateful for the two of them and the word that they spoke over the life of this church. Well, I'm excited because, as I shared, we were on vacation. I'm just going to be right up front before you even talk to Rach. I am not a great vacationer. I'm just going to put it out there. I think of all the stuff that I still need to do. I wonder what's happening back here. And so every morning I still got up at like 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And invariably, wherever we stayed over the course of 12 days, I would find the local coffee shop and I would have my time with Jesus. I'd start working on some things. But listen, I didn't do it quietly because it would be pitch dark in our hotel room. And invariably, I would grab my bag and I would trip over a suitcase. Or I would go to open the door and I would forget to remove that little like safety chain on it and a I woke up everybody. They hated me on vacation. But it was interesting as I sat down and I, I spent time with the Lord and I started to think about what I wanted him to share with me in this first week back. And I have to tell you, the Lord downloaded so much to me that I'm going to tell you if I tried to speak it all in one week, you would not be at Panera until like 2 o'clock this afternoon. So today, if you're all right with it, we're going to kind of break Ephesians chapter 6 into two weeks. So we'll start the first half this week. We want you back next week for our 20th anniversary celebration. If you're watching online and you haven't joined us back in person, that's the week to do it. And then we will come back in two weeks and finish up the final week of We the People. But when you look at Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to pick up right where Pastor Sam left off last week. If you remember, he was talking about the responsibilities of husbands and wives. And once you get into Ephesians chapter 6, it actually shifts into the responsibilities and the duties of parents and children. And so if you'd open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be there on the screen. Children... Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord." Now, it's significant that Paul would use the word children in this passage because back in ancient times, girls and women were seen as less than. Their only jobs were basically to work around the house and to have kids and raise kids. But Paul here was actually taking his cue from Jesus back in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, where he says, Let the little children come unto me. See, at that time, Jesus' words were a radical departure for how people saw children back then. Back in the Roman Empire, lots of babies were abandoned if they were unwanted. Any babies that were deformed or had disabilities, they were actually left to die. And even back then, children were also often seen as more of a nuisance than anything. But Paul was already, at the very beginning of this chapter, reiterating what he had said throughout this entire book. He was reiterating the fact that we must value everyone made in God's image, irregardless of their age, their gender, their ethnicity, their background. Everyone matters in the eyes of God. See, so why do we obey? And it says in here, because you belong to the Lord, and it's the right thing to do. Nowhere in there did Paul say, because I said so. Have you ever grown up and your parent says to you, because I said so? Growing up, I hated when my mom or dad would say that. Because I was a quizzical kid, I would ask lots of questions and exasperated. They would say, because I said so, that's why you're going to do it. And growing up, I was like, I'm never going to say that to my kids. I'm going to be better parents. 
And y'all, we were on 12 days together. And there are times on this vacation where somebody would say, why, why, why? And finally I was like, because I said so. And I caught myself. I sounded like my dad in that moment. But Paul was saying, why do we obey? Because we belong to the Lord and it's the right thing to do. It's part of the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses all the way back in Exodus. And as Paul is saying, it's the first command with a promise. Listen back to what it says, Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving to you. See, children, they have the responsibility to obey, but parents, listen up. We have the responsibility to teach them what that looks like. See, let me tell you, disobedience is inherited, but obedience is instructed. What do I mean by that? Is when you were born, you inherited a sinful nature because of Adam and Eve that brought sin into the world. Nobody had to teach you to be bad. I've had three kids and never once did I have to tell them, this is how you disobey. It's inherited in them, but we have to teach them obedience. See, this verse, honor your father and mother, is a verse I heard all the time growing up from my mom. As well as Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents for this is right. Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to prosper you, plan to give you a future, plan to give you a hope. But my mom put it in a different context. She had the Linda Richardson version of Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, and they're to get your butt in your bedroom. And to pick up those clothes off the floor. And you have a future and a hope if you do what I say. Hallelujah. She's sitting there laughing. You did that. I remember that. But Exodus 21 said that the punishment for physically or verbally abusing your parents was death. Now we think that whole idea, honor your father and mother, is only mentioned in the Ten Commandments, but is actually mentioned five other times in the Bible. Twice in Matthew, twice in Mark, and once in Luke. That's how important it is. See, honor, respect are cornerstones that we have to invest into our kids. See, I told you we had a great vacation, and somebody asked me, was your vacation as great as the Instagram posts that Rachel would post every day? <laughs> twelve, twelve days, five of us, seven different hotels, and y'all, let me just be real honest with you, some of those hotels were nice, right, Benny? They were nice. One of them uh, looked like a crack house, but that's neither here nor there. We went through some counseling because of that after a while. Don't you ever make us stay here ever again. But anytime when you're together in a minivan for 12 days, things pop up. And we have these things in our house called come to Jesus meetings. I don't know if you're familiar in your family. You may call it something else. It's where you need the power of the Holy Spirit to calm you down in that moment. We've had those in our living room. We've had them in the hallway at our house. While we were on vacation, we had a come-to-Jesus moment in our minivan in the parking lot of a Walmart in Baraboo, Wisconsin. Because we had to instruct them what responsibility, what honor looks like. See, I wrote down on my notes, obedience is an action, honor is an attitude. Parents, let me tell you, if your children do not learn to respect and honor you now, they will grow up to be adults that never respect and honor anyone else. Not their teachers, not their coaches, not their bosses. That's why it's so important to instill that in them. And the single people in the house are watching online, let me give your attention for just a moment. If you are dating someone, you're interested in somebody, and they do not honor and respect their parents, let me give you a snapshot into your future. There will be a time where they do not honor and respect you. So choose wisely. Don't rush into relationships. Make sure that it's the relationship that God has pursued for you. And can I go a little bit further down? If you're here for the first time and you're like, I've never heard this guy preach before, buckle up. 
because I want to be really honest with those of us who are single, whether we're 20 or 60. What you see as sexy in one season, you will see as a setback in the next. If it is not the person that God has orchestrated for you to be with, there will always be fallout down the road. So be intentional. Let me tell you, if your parents, especially Christian parents, do not like the person you are dating, listen. When I was 20 and 21 years old, I had kind of walked away from Jesus for a season. And there wasn't a time in my entire 42 years that my mom and I argued more than we ever did. Our relationship was not good. Why was that? Because during that season that I'd wandered away from Jesus, I pursued a relationship with a woman who was not a follower of Jesus. In fact, she had a child already on her own at a young age as well, and she was still not divorced from her husband. And I entered into that relationship. And my mom, time and time again, since I was a young boy, she had prayed for me. She had prayed for my spouse. She had prayed for relationships. She had prayed for Rach all those years ago. And we would go back and forth and back and forth. Why did we argue so much? Because she knew. She saw things in my rose-colored glasses I could not see for myself. See, when I listened to Justin Bieber say, my mama don't like you and she likes everyone, he wrote that about my mom. <laughs> because my mom did not like her and she liked everyone. But my mom knew in that time, listen to your parents. They will see things that you cannot see in a relationship. And let me tell you right now, if you continue on in a relationship, with someone that you should not be with, you will overlook their flaws and undervalue the fallout that's sure to come. See, I walked out of that relationship with my heart broken, and it took me about a year, year and a half, two years to get myself back. See, you overlook things in the season. I can fix them. They can be my project. But the fallout of what happened from that one relationship had ricocheted for months and years down the road. See, the head of the Roman family back in this time was the, they called the paterfamilias. He had total control over his entire family. He could sell them as slaves, his own kids. He could make them work out in, in the fields, chained up. He could even inflict the death penalty if he didn't like what they did. See, Richard kids, it could be worse. I've never inflicted the death penalty on you. I made you get your gross McDonald's bags out of your room. It could be worse. But the father had ultimate control, ultimate responsibility. He would allow things to happen in that family that is completely different than as we as Christian fathers should see our kids and our role and our responsibility. See, we should model our heavenly father. See, I don't know about you, but I have a heavenly father that doesn't scold me, but he scoops me up. I have a heavenly father that doesn't push me away. No, he pulls me close to him. Men in this room, that's who our kids are looking for, to follow the model, the example of the ultimate father. See, in verse 4, we see Paul, he recognizes how delicate a child's personality is. See, and some scholars have speculated that Paul's childhood was devoid of love, that he lacked that parental love in his life, and that his instructions to fathers were a flashback to his own life. I said to somebody just the other day, be the parent you wish you had. No matter your situation, be the parent you wish you had. See, back in college, I read a book called Giant by Edna Ferber. And, and the book is all about a, a man named Jordan Benedict. And Jordan Benedict was the owner of a 2.5 million acre cattle ranch in Texas. And it goes on to talk about how one day when his three-year-old son is getting ready to get on a horse. 
And the dad dresses him in full cowboy gear, puts him on the horse, and his young son starts to bawl, starts to cry, I want off, dad. And listen to what it says in the story. His father was disgusted. I rode before I could walk, he says. All right, responds his wife, Leslie. That was very cute, but that was you. This is another person. Maybe he doesn't like horses. He's a Benedict, and I'm going to make a horseman out of him if I have to tie him to it to do it. To which his wife responded, he's not yours. He's yours and mine, and not even ours. He's himself. Can I tell you today, your kids are not you. I've sat in so many sporting events cheering on our kids, and Rachel and I, we are those parents. Like, we get loud. I don't care if it's a swim meet, a soccer game, basketball game. We're like, come on, get in there! Embarrass our kids to death. You know it's true. But throughout that, there's so many times that Rachel and I will look at one another halfway through the season and be like, where did they get this athletic ability from? Like, it's certainly not us. But there's so many times where we try to force our kids to be exactly like us. Can I tell you, your kids are not you. And let me take it a step further. Your kids are not yours. They are on loan to you. They are on loan to you for just a short amount of time. They are God's children. See, that's why we value kids here at Riverside. We love kids. That's why we invest in them. And next month, we're actually going to do our next, next set of child dedications on September 20th. What do we do that for? Because we're investing. We're praying blessing. We're praying wisdom. We're praying knowledge that you raise your kids in the sight of God. Because I'll tell you, Rach and I, we cannot raise our kids on our own. It's only through the help of God, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that we're able to raise them. See, because you need to know, parents, your kids will test the limits of their liberty and the limits of your love. They will push you. They will try you. See, the Greek word ektrepo means to nourish, to nurture, to raise tenderly. When I was growing up, we lived in, in this large apartment complex. And I remember one day when I was a young kid, I sat and I watched out the window one day as they started to replace the sidewalk in front of our house. And I watched the cement truck come. And they poured concrete all day long. For like six hours, I was transfixed watching this. And the whole time I was thinking, I know what I'm going to do with this. I know what's going to happen next. When that cement truck rolls away, I know what's going to happen. And I watched it. Hours later, it started to go. I didn't tell my mom what I was doing because she would have stopped me. And I started to go out there and I look and it was wet, fresh cement. And I walked all around the neighborhood getting my buddies together. It's like, hey, come on. There's fresh cement right in front. Let's, let's put our names in it. And then I was so smart, even as a nine-year-old, I thought, let's not put our own names in there. Let's put those enemies that we have, we'll put their names in there so people will think they did it. Those kids that beat up on us and take my lunch money, we're going to write Nick's name on there. And so I went around to this whole apartment complex, and I got all my friends together. And can I tell you what happened? By the time we got back, the cement had dried. All these great plans for nothing. Why do I tell you that? Because your kids are like wet cement. You only have a small amount of time to form them, to encourage them, to pour into them. My kids are literally growing up right in front of my eyes every day. Parents, pour into them, encourage them, provide a loving, godly atmosphere at home. Because if they don't see it at home in this culture, there's a good chance they may never see it anywhere else. That's our responsibility, parents. Our kids know that if their friends come over and they happen to be there at mealtimes, they're going to sit around our table 
And our kids get so embarrassed by this because we hold hands and we pray together as a family. And if you're over at mealtime, guess what? You may have to hold Ella's hand. You may have to hold Rachel's hand. But that's what we do. Why? Because in that moment, when we have others with us, we're going to invest in them. Even if it's at a 15-minute meal over corn dogs, that's what we'll do because time is precious. See, can I tell you today, make it a priority to get to church. Make it a priority. Make it a priority to watch online week in and week out. But be here. See, since day one, that has always been our priority with our kids. Since Ella was first born, we dedicated her on this stage at three months old, and we've never left. And you're like, that's easy for you. You're a pastor. I wasn't back then. But every single time, we knew the importance of it. So much so that last Sunday, we were back home, and all of our kids wanted to come to church. And I said, no, it's Dad's Sunday off. We're not going. We're watching online. But our kids had bought into it. Serving is our priority. I want to be helping in Riverside kids. I want to be standing at the door greeting people. See, our kids, I hope they stick with it all their life. And I hope one day they're raising their own kids to love Jesus. But what are we investing in? And so many times, man, I want to talk to you right now. We make parenting, we make the raising of our children what we call a mom job. There's so many times where I've let that phrase come out of my mouth. Rach, I am not doing that. That is a mom job. Thank you. That's exactly how it goes over. Ooh. I see that face. But there's so many times that we have skirted the responsibility to the moms to do it. But gentlemen, there are too many men who are walking away from their responsibility. We are in a culture right now that it is almost rare to see a mom and a dad living together under one roof. Statistics are showing that many children, most children, dare I say, are living in a different home than their biological father. In white homes, it's about half and half that are living away from their biological father. In Hispanic homes, we're at about 60%. 60% of men and women, young boys, young girls, are living away from their fathers. And in the African-American society right now, what we're seeing is that close to 80% of young black men and young black women are living apart from their fathers. See, men, we have to do better. We are called to do better. Several months ago, I had a, a, a person that reached out to me. He was one of my old third graders from back in the day. He was 20 years old now. And he said, can I meet with you? And as we sat down, he started to tell my story of what had happened since third grade. You know, what had happened is he had made a series of bad choices. And his girlfriend had gotten pregnant. And just the week before we had met, they had broken up. And what do I need to do? And I started in that moment just counseling him, praying for him in that moment. And I left him. And I said, can I give you two pieces of advice? Make Jesus your number one priority and make your son your number two priority. He is going to need you now more than ever before. Don't walk away. No, you run towards that young man. You throw your arms around him. But we can't do it on our own. Whether you're a man or a woman here in person or watching from home today, we can't do it on our own. That's why Paul continues in verse 10 where he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Be strong in the Lord. See, your strength is not in your ability. It's not in how long you've been a Christian. It's not in how many Bible verses you can say. 
Our strength is found in our relationship with Jesus and his mighty power. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, our very first week, Paul said the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe in him. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. See, what we've seen throughout Ephesians is that God was building a new society. And the devil wanted nothing more than to destroy it. It said that God had torn down the dividing wall between different ethnicities and the devil wanted nothing more than to build it back up. That God had created a brand new church and the devil would love nothing more than to bring division to it. Let me tell you today, the Christian life isn't a cakewalk, it's a minefield. The Christian life isn't a playground, it's a battleground. There are things that are coming against you. God has given you weapons if only you would use them. See, it starts by saying be strong in the Lord. We need God's strength and he will empower us. See, we have no strength on our own to defeat the devil, but Jesus, his Holy Spirit, has given us what we need every day to deal with him on a day-by-day basis. 1 John 3.8, when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. See, that's why Paul is telling us to stand firm. Stand firm on the gospel. Stand firm in his courage. Stand firm in his strength. Stand firm in unity. And I have to tell you today, the schemes of the devil are no match for the strength of your Lord. Nothing can come against him. See, where the devil wants to give you tricks... God says, let me give you truth. Where you want to condemn people, God says, no, 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 why don't you comfort people? When he says, my way, God says, no, 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 my way. There's so many times that the devil tries to come into us. Where the devil tries to focus on greed, God says, no, 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 focus on generosity. When we want to envy one another, God says, no, why don't you encourage one another? Instead of using people, why don't you unite people? Instead of going down this path that leads to death, why don't you follow the path that leads to destiny and purpose? See, who are you listening to today? There are so many people, so many Christians that are living defeated. You're going out into the world without the armor of God. Just like you would never come to church naked. Hallelujah. (laughs) Some of you are going out into the world every day, going about your daily lives without putting on the armor of God. You wonder why things aren't going well for you. Human strength alone will not do it. I don't care if you're the strongest, you're the most spiritual. You studied the Bible more than anybody in this room. It ain't going to cut it. See, we need the spiritual power that comes from being in a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. We often believe that our struggles in life are with people or with circumstances, but Paul goes on to say it's actually against unseen forces. Let's keep it real. The devil hates you just because God loves you. That's why he hates you. It's not much farther than a junior high mindset. Have you ever heard a girl say, I don't like her, and it's only because the boy liked her. That's the same thing the devil tries to do with us. He doesn't like you because God loves you. And the devil is constantly at work to destroy what God loves. 
See, let me tell you today, you need supernatural strength for a supernatural fight. See, Paul tells us twice, put on the full armor of God in verse 11 and verse 13. We've talked before, when somebody says something twice in the Bible, it's important. Moses, Moses, God was trying to get his attention. When Paul is saying it to us again, why he's saying it twice, it's important. When somebody says something twice, listen. It's like in a horror movie when somebody says, don't open that door. And then they follow it up and say, don't open that door. They're doing it because they know, I want you to listen right now. And guess what Samantha does? She goes and opens that door. She didn't listen, and now here's the fallout. Paul's telling you twice, put on the full armor. Put on the full armor. If you don't, you don't know what's on the other side of that door. Your future is not bright. Paul is telling you. Therefore, picking up in verse 13, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. See, Paul was talking in a way that would have related to his audience at the time. They would have been familiar with a Roman army because at this time there were anywhere from 250 to 350,000 Roman soldiers. They had seen them wearing the armor. And today for time, we're just going to go through the first half of the armor. The first three, starting with the belt of truth. The belt of truth, the belt was a key part of the attire. It wasn't a secondary accessory. No, it was a strategic part of the armor. It distinguished a soldier from a civilian. And I want to tell you right now, before you think it's, it's a belt that you would buy from Target, it's a little bit different. It was more like a girdle. It's more like Spanx. It was more to hold everything together. That's what it was. That's why in some translations that you may have grown up with, it says things like, gird up your loins. That's a weird way to say it. I hate the word loin. It sounds like moist and it's gross. But what it meant is they had these long cloaks. And what they would do when it was time for battle, they would pull these long cloaks. They would tuck them into their belt. It would show, we're ready for the fight. We're ready for the battle. There's nothing that's going to stand in our way. We're prepared. See, the Greek word for devil is diabolus. That means slanderer, false accuser liar. You need to know that today you're in a battle between the truth and the lies. What are you listening to? See, many years ago, one of my first year or two that I taught, I was making $26,000 a year as a first-year teacher. And one day I got home from, from school, and I opened up my mail, and there was a an envelope from a place I didn't recognize, a return address I'd never heard of. And I opened it up, and it was a check from the Bank of Switzerland. And I looked at it, and it was a check for $10,000. I didn't know anybody in Switzerland. I didn't know anything about Switzerland, but can I tell you what I did? I took that check. I endorsed that check. I hopped in my car. I went to Sefkew. I pranced on up to the teller. I gave her that and said, would you please deposit that in my account? Sure, Mr. Richardson, I'd be happy to do that. And I got home and I was just thinking about all the things I could do with $10,000. The next day, I got a call. Hey, this is Sefkew. Did you deposit a check yesterday? Yes, I did. I did. Oh, uh, actually... It, it's, it's counterfeit. It's fraudulent. Like, that's not real. There's no real, and it all started to sink back in. Listen, it looked right. 
it felt right, but it was counterfeit. How many of us in our life, we are making choices, we're in relationships that look right, we're making decisions that feel right, but in all honesty, they're counterfeit. They're not actually the right thing. How many times have we fallen for the counterfeit over the original? How many times have we fallen for the lies over the truth of God's word? John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And some of you today, you need to stop following your feelings and start following your father. Start trying to figure it out on your own. We do it over and over again. We're in a war, not with other humans, but we're in a war with Satan and his demons. And day after day, hour after hour, he attempts to defeat us with deception and disruption and distraction. He says things like, it's never going to get better. You're always going to struggle. You're always going to be alone. And some of us buy into the lies. And we walk away from the purpose. We walk away from the promise that God spoke to us. John 8, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, some of you today... You need to pull up your pants. You need to tighten your belt. You need to hang on to God's promises during times of attack. You're listening to the lies of the enemy over the truth of God's word. You need to attach yourself to Jesus. See, while we were away, we went to an amusement park. And, and Ben and I, we went on this ride. And, and I'm, a, I'm a terrible dad because I'm a liar dad. Is this scary? No, it's not scary at all. Is it going to go upside down? No, it's not going to go upside down. Does it go fast? No, it doesn't go fast. I'm a liar, so pray for me. But we, we took Ben on this ride, and we're on there. And he's like, why are they strapping us in like this? I'm like, so it keeps you secure. It holds you in tight so nothing happens to you. He's like, okay. He's like, what if I get scared? And I was like, dude, I'm right beside you. All you got to do is reach out. I'll be right there to hold your hand. Okay, dad. And so what he didn't know is that we were about to go on a roller coaster that went upside down 13 times. It went 70 miles an hour. It started with a 100-foot drop. And no matter what happened, we kept going. And he was like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I held it. Like he dug into my arms. I had fingernail marks the rest of our trip. But we got down and the kid was white as a sheet. And I said, Benny, how was it? And he says, well, first of all, Dad, can I take this mask off? Because we had to wear a mask on every single ride we went to. He goes, can I get a new mask? And I said, sure, what's the problem? And he said, this mask has a lot of tears and a little bit of spit. <laughs> but I think about that because there's so many of us that are not attaching ourselves, that are not locking ourselves securely, that have walked away and we've forgotten that your dad is sitting right next to you, that when you get scared and when you get overwhelmed, he's there to take your hand. You're not doing it on your own. And no matter what your life looks like, whether there's a whole lot of tears and a little bit of spit, that your God is there every single step of the way. See, some of you need to start filtering every circumstance through his word and not through your feelings. What does God say about it? Fill your mind with truth. And yet again, another Sunday when I'm preaching to myself. Do you ever have those days where you just come back from vacation and you go back to work for a few days, and now you need another vacation. That's what this week was like. 
and I got home Thursday, and Ella and Rach were sitting in the living room, and I was just in a weird place. And I went outside. Our back deck is where I spend time with Jesus. People say, are you going tanning? Why are you so tan? No, I sit outside all the time. I love to be outside. I love to read. I love to work outside. And so as I went out there Thursday afternoon, I've learned that when my mind starts going places, I need to get re-centered in God's word. And so I spent time in my Bible. And for me, I'm kind of slow. I'm a simple dude. I'm going to be honest with you. I have these promises of God that oftentimes I have to speak over my life. I have to remind myself. I call them the ABCs. And yours may be different. But my ABCs that I have to spend time and remind myself of the truth of God's word and what he says about me. A, I am accepted in him. I'm reminded what Paul said early on in the Ephesians. I brought you close to me. You are no longer outsiders. You're no longer strangers, but you are mine. I'm accepted in God. B, I'm being changed into the image of Christ. See, I'm not there yet, folks. I got a long ways to go. I'm a work in progress. But each day, God is changing me to be more and more like him. And see, I am complete in him. I'm complete in him. Even if nobody else gets it, nobody else agrees with me, everybody steps out. Guess what? I'm complete in him. I'm accepted. I'm being changed. I'm complete in him. Start preaching the promises of God over your life. So when that roller coaster comes, you're strapped in. You're secure knowing wherever this goes, my dad is right there with me. See, the second thing he talks about is the breastplate of righteousness. The full armor of a Roman soldier would have weighed about 70 pounds. The bulk of it would have been on the breastplate. The breastplate was a a sheet of metal, usually bronze, that went from your shoulders to your thighs. It was very, very heavy, and it covered the vital organs, most notably your heart. Now, if you're new to a church community like this and that word righteousness, let me give you a simple definition. It's right living and right thinking. You need only to jump back into where Pastor Dana was a couple weeks ago, Ephesians 4. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. See, in 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 a Roman officer's uniform, the belt and the breastplate would have been attached together. That's not a coincidence because righteousness is aligning yourself to God's truth. It's attaching the two of them together no matter the fight that comes your way. See, when we really, really understand how much God did for us, we will naturally want to serve him out of obedience, out of gratitude. See, we don't walk worthy so that God will love us. No, we walk worthy because he loves us. It's not motivated out of greed. It's out of gratitude. Not for what I can get out of it, but what you've already provided me with, God. I'm going to be gratitude. See, and there's many of us in a room or watching online. We may say we love Jesus. And then we walk out of here and live completely out of line with what God's word tells us how to live. The enemy wants to tempt you towards unrighteousness. Because you see, without the breastplate, it's much easier for the enemy to get your heart. And with one blow to your heart, He can take you out completely, and before you know it, you're walking in a totally different direction than the one the Lord has for you. Guard your heart. See, back in Ephesians chapter 4, Pastor Dana said it so brilliantly. I don't believe God is a coincidental God, but a very intentional one. But I think you could say the same thing for the devil. 
I don't believe that the devil is coincidental, but he's very intentional. He's crafty. He's strategic. And if you go back a couple weeks in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is starting to talk about unity in the body. He's talking to Christians and saying, be aware of this. Don't let there be division or lashing out or deception or anger. See, as Christ followers, that should be our former way of life, not our current way of life. No, we're called to righteousness. So Paul's saying, instead of division, we're going to be united in the body of Christ. Let me say that for the people in the back. Instead of being divided, we're going to be united as a church. No matter what comes our way, we're not going to let things come between us. Instead of lashing out, we're going to speak the truth in love. Instead of deception, we're going to have integrity. Instead of being angry, we're going to stay calm. Ephesians 4.24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. See, when you've been made new in Christ, it allows us to look ahead to the confidence of our future rather than the condemnation of our past. You can look back and say, this is where God has brought me, and I can't wait to see what he does next. I'm going to be one that lives righteously. See, the final thing we see here are the shoes of peace. Obviously, you know it's my favorite because I love me some shoes. But the shoes of peace. And I, it's kind of weird when I was studying this that Paul would include shoes. Because if you really think about it, like feet are weird. Anybody with me? Like feet are weird. Like, uh, we're just going to tell you everything about our, our marriage today. Um, Rach makes fun of my feet all the time. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you for being on my side. They're on my side. na 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 boo boo um, She's like, you have feet that look like they should belong on monkeys. It's true. It's true. Like, we were on vacation, and we're, on, we're at a water park for three days, and you go on a lazy river, which is supposed to be very relaxing. I love me a lazy river. My kids will tell you, find me on the lazy river. It's very lazy until, like, your feet brush against another man's feet, and then it, like, takes you totally out of it. Like, it's weird. I don't want to touch anybody else's feet. But what they're saying here is they're talking about the shoes and how important it was. And until I really started to study, I thought, Paul, are the shoes even important? I get it. I get the breastplate. I get the belt. I get all the other things we're talking about. But as I studied, the shoes that were worn by Roman soldiers were called caligae. Caligae. There were three layers of leather, and they kind of wrapped around the ankles. They were specially made to protect you against blisters. They had spikes on the bottom to provide security, to kind of give you a grip no matter what surface you were walking on. It harkens back to Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Can I get in your business a little bit today? What if in this culture, what if in this society today, what if you started bringing peace instead of problems? You only need to pull out your phone, log on to social media, and know that we are in an unprecedented time in history. You only need to go on, and all of us have very strong opinions. I shared with our team just the other day, when I was a young boy, I had a journal, and I would write stuff in. I still keep a journal to this day. But everything I wrote in that journal about the girl that I thought was cute, I would hide that so no one, not my mom, not my brother, not my nana, could find it. And many times I would slide it real talk in my underwear drawer because I know no one wants to touch my drawers. But have you noticed what we do today? The stuff that we would write in our journal, we no longer take a pen to paper, we take fingers to a keyboard. 
this season has been really interesting. And I don't unfriend people. I don't do that. I'm much classier than that. I just unfollow people. And if you catch me on a good day, I will just snooze you. If you don't know the snooze feature, it's amazing. You can hide somebody for 30 days, and you pray that when they pop back up in 30 days, the Lord has changed their heart. But in this season, if you want to stand out, be peaceful instead of prickly. There's certain people that, man, I don't even want to be around. Real talk. But I'll tell you, I'm praying for those people every single day. When I see something that's offensive, when I see something that hurts the body of Christ, when I see people taking sides on this side versus that side, God help us all. We need it desperately now than ever. And in this society right now, can I tell you, peaceful people are powerful people. When you're speaking peace, when you're speaking life, you're the kind of people I want in my circle. You're the kind of people who are going to stand out, that go against the grain, that aren't like the rest of society. And I'm only speaking from experience because I haven't always been that guy. In fact, for so many years of my life, I was the guy who riled stuff up. I poked things. And for so many years of my life, I started to hold on to stuff. And I don't know if you're like me where you shove stuff down and you shove it and you shove it and you shove it again until you can only hold it in for a certain amount of time until you explode. I'm like a volcano and I would lash out lava on whoever was near me. I watched Jurassic Park the other day, back in the day. And remember there's that really cute dinosaur and he looks cute and the guy's trying to talk to him. And then in two seconds, he like unfurls that big mane and he shoots stuff out of his mouth and goes right in the guy's eyes. Can I tell you, I was that dinosaur for so many years. You got too close to me. You caught me on a bad day. That's who I was. And that's my family. Without God's help, without putting on the armor, without putting on the shoes of peace, I can still go down that route. But God has continued to help me, to transform me. And I couldn't help but think all the way back in Exodus chapter 14. The book of Exodus starts off with Pharaoh, and he takes the Israelites in as slaves in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron twice go and say, hey, let them go. And Pharaoh refuses. And God intervenes, and God starts to send plague after plague. And after each plague, they go back and say, what about now? Pharaoh says, no. It's only until the very last plague when God was killing their firstborn sons. And in that time, Pharaoh's own son died. Only then do we see Pharaoh say, you can have it. But if you continue on in the story, Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh sends 600 chariots to pursue the Israelites. And they're stuck, they're at a place, they start to panic. And in scripture it says, we would be better to be a slave in Egypt to be a corpse in the wilderness. So they start to freak out, there is no peace whatsoever. Their next chapter that they were looking forward to was short-lived. But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. See, we see it again. Stand firm. In the next moment, Moses was used by God to part the Red Sea. What you see here is the shoes of peace led to a shift in perception. Where they were before, we're about to be slaughtered. But when God shows up on the scene, it wasn't we are about to be slaughtered, we're about to be saved. That perception when God puts the shoes a piece on your feet. Things change. See, panic on the shores in one moment became a pathway through the sea in the next. And he wants to do the same thing for you. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you're stuck. I can't go further. But when I read the scripture, when we remain in peace, it shows that we trust God. He will intervene. He will show us what to do in every situation if you can just stand firm and stay in peace. See, every morning my prayer is God put peace on my feet. Everywhere I walk, let me showcase your peace. Earlier this week, Tuesday morning, I got up and I went to my usual spot. And as I sat down, there were so many things going through my head. Because the two weeks that we had been gone, I'd been following what was going on back here at home. With the situation with COVID-19, I talked to many of my pastor friends that Real Talk have been dealing with it within their sanctuary, within their building. And can I tell you, God has had his hand of protection on Riverside over and over. And to walk through this season with some of my brothers, some of my best friends, what they've had to deal with. I was just praying, God, what, what does this look like? And while we were gone, I felt clearly that I'd heard from the Lord of what we should do. And as the leader of this house, you're not always the most popular guy in the room. Not everybody agrees with your decisions. People can second guess them. People can talk about it behind your back. But can I tell you, I believe that's what true leadership is. True Christian leadership is hearing from the Lord, stepping out in faith, not worrying about what anybody's going to say about you knowing that you've heard from the Lord. And so early Tuesday morning, as I went out to my spot out back, I knew I was gonna be talking to our staff in this room that morning, and I was gonna be sitting down with our elders Tuesday night and laying out what this looked like. And I said, God, I just need you to give me peace. Because while we were away, I listened to a podcast of a pastor that, man, I, I respect so much. He's been pastoring a church for 33 years. And he said in that moment, I've never been in a more divisive time in the history of our church than I am right now. What do we do? What do we wear? What do we mandate? What do we don't? Are we going to have fear? Are we going to have faith? Does it look like you're aligning with this political party or that political party? And as I knew, I clearly heard from the Lord. And as I sat down that day, it was really loud, even for an early morning. Our next door neighbors were out watering. They were doing some work on our street. The birds were chirping really loud. And I just came and I said, Lord, I need your peace right now. I need your Holy Spirit to just come over me. And in that moment, I kid you not, it went completely I couldn't hear a single thing. The presence of God 
washed over me, his Holy Spirit. And he started to give me the words. And the email that you got on Wednesday talking about here's what our next steps were, they came from my back deck. Early Tuesday morning, right after I had prayed, God, give me peace. See, I knew what I would be preaching on this weekend. And that morning, I actually went inside and I put on shoes. I think we have a picture of it. I took a picture of it. These were my shoes that morning. Why? Because it was symbolic to me. Sometimes I have to actually put on the shoes and walk in them and step in them to feel that. Can I challenge you this week? Every single time you put on your shoes, will you think about them as peace? Wherever my feet take me today and then this week, I'm going to spread peace. I'm going to spread love. I'm going to spread contentment. I'm going to be the guy that comes in and the atmosphere changes. I'm going to be the girl that walks into my workplace and things shift because I've walked in peace. Listen, take a photo of it. Tag me in it. I'd love to see it this week. I don't know what kind of shoes you wear. For me, they're the Jordans of joy, y'all. Maybe you have the Birkenstocks of blessing. The Crocs of contentment. I don't judge. I'll stop there. But when you put those on, will you allow God to exchange your panic for his peace? That morning I was so panicked. What are people going to say? What's the fallout going to be? And God said, ah, that's bigger than you. And I exchanged my panic for his peace. This week, when you lace up your shoes, will you lace them up with love? For some of you, that sounds, that's very generic. That's very touchy-feely. What does that have to do with church? No, I believe in the Bible that tells us that you must love your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the gospel, y'all. That's too simple for you. Take it up with these guys back in the day. But wherever I go this week, I want to be known for my love. I want to be known for my peace. See, the shoes the Roman soldiers put on their feet, it gave them solid footing so they could concentrate on the battle at hand. It's the same for you. What are you lacing up? What are you attaching yourself to? In a room this size and an audience as large as watching right now, there's many of us that are in a battle. There's stuff going on in our lives right now, and I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to resolve it. When's it ever going to get better? Start putting on the armor of God. Get in his word. Be reminded of what he says about you. His truth. See, there's some of you in here today and watching online. You thought you just came as a fluke. Last minute. An invite to somebody that you may or may not even like. And God said, no, I brought you here for a purpose. This is a word for you today. Remember my truth. When the enemy's attacks come against you, when his lies come against you, remember my truth. Put on righteousness. Don't be like everybody else. Don't go along with the crowd. Put on my peace that follows you wherever you go, that attaches itself to you. Can I pray for you today? Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. And I pray today, God, no matter what comes against us, it's not stronger than you, Lord. That no matter the attacks of the enemy, the fiery darts that he lunges towards us, God, it won't stick because we know you go ahead of us, that you fight for us. And God, my prayer this week is that we wouldn't focus 
on the enemy's lies. No, but we would focus on your truth, what you say about us. If you promised it to us, God, you're going to see it through to completion. That marriage is going to be restored. That relationship is going to come back together. Those finances are going to be improved, God. Our attitude is going to change. We're not going to throw in the towel. No, we're not going to step back. We're going to step forward into the promise and the purpose and the destiny that you have for each and every one of our lives. And so, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you invade this place? That you would have an infilling for each and every one of us that we walk out not as wimps but as, as warriors. That no matter the battle that's ahead of us, the battle that's waiting for us outside these doors, that you walk with us, that you empower us, that you're the Father that stands there securely close to us say, I'm never far away. You're right beside me. I'm never going to let you go. Jesus, I thank you for the work you're doing in my life, in the lives of so many that I love. We thank you, Jesus, in advance for what you're going to continue to do. And in Jesus' name.